I want my baby back. Chili, baby back ribs. I want my baby. Chili, baby back ribs. I got my baby back ribs. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. I am Mark, and I am coming to you from deep underground in my subterranean lair known as the Comic Book Dungeon. And I am Cruz, and I am coming to you from above ground uh, in what is now known as the Comic Book Infirmary. (laughs) Awesome. I wasn't expecting that. Good. Um, so this is the Comic Book Dungeon podcast, where we take a deep dive back into Marvel's history, where we talk about the forgotten, the weird, the esoteric. And along those lines, I want to jump back into what you mean by the Comic Book Infirmary and tell us about your ills. Okay, so on our, on our What Have You Been Doing little segment here, uh, uh, my whole family has been deathly ill with uh, some sort of contracted plague. That I don't know what bowels it spewed from, but it has managed to knock down everybody in my household to a quivering mash of like incendiarily hot fever ridden bodies that are just quivering on the floor uh, for a good week and a half. Everybody here was sick. I mean, miserably sick. Do you suspect that the this might be the wolf spiders fighting back in some way? Mm, you know, it seems a little coordinated for the wolf spiders. Usually they would just kind of swarm on you and make everybody go ill, ill, ill and freak out and run into a wall or something. This, this, this seems a little more advanced. This sounds like a plausible conspiracy to me. I mean, after all, look at 9-11. Everyone knows jet fuel doesn't burn that hot. There is uh, no schools in Florida, so we've debunked the recent shooting. And... <laughs> Uh, there was no election in the last eight years. Trump doesn't even exist. So there you go. Oh, thank you for bringing me back to reality. I needed that. So yeah, remember that, everybody. Jet fuel doesn't burn that hot. Mm. Did you see that stupid piece of legislation that came out like within a couple of days after the Florida shooting? Y- you mean where they're uh, putting the In God We Trust in all the classrooms? It conspicuously in all the classrooms it states. I love whenever teachers talk about the fact that they don't have enough resources in their classroom and that they have to take their meager earnings to buy school supplies. But then schools do stupid shit like, yes, we're going to put a uh, 200 of these $30 signs in every classroom. Exactly. Yeah, at least maybe if they make the freaking sign out of Kevlar, it would be useful. <laughs> You know, if you, you think if, if God had that magical ability to stop bullets that we wouldn't have had that shooting in a church last year? Ugh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the only time I've seen religion used as an effective weapon is in Castlevania. The fucking cross is that badass boomerang. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Other than that, I don't think it's going to help you. No, no. It is It is not an effective weapon, nor is it an effective defense. I'm, I'm hoping if somebody's offended out there, you could write in to us to discuss that, because you know what? We're going to win because there's a lot of empirical evidence that your religion doesn't, matter, doesn't amount to shit in a crisis situation. Yeah, truth. Truth. There's actually <sighs> studies that show, because people always talk about the power of prayer... But there are studies that, peer-reviewed studies that will show that if you pray for somebody in the hospital, 
instead of not even having an effect, there's studies that will show that uh, people get worse because if they feel they have a large amount of people pulling for them, it takes like that lotus of responsibility off of them. And so they, quote-unquote, put it in God's hands or a higher power's hands, so they put less effort into their own recovery. That is what I posted when I heard about that stupid law. And I was just like, this is, this is like the ultimate cop-out. Like, instead of taking any sort of per, you know, responsibility as a legislative body in Florida, their state freaking Congress has decided to just kick the can up the road and to put in God we trust and let that sort it out. Like, yeah, that's really effective. There was a recent study within, I think, the last two or three years where they looked at gun violence in, in countries and they looked at different factors. And you know what was the the number one thing that stood out to them, like the big correlation that they took out of, out of that? The number really? one... The really number bad accents that sound kind of like Vegas? No, no. No? It's the oh. it's the number of guns in a country is the best predictor of the number of the amount of gun violence. No. <laughs> yes. It's so really? ridiculous that we need like these humongous studies to tell us that, but I mean it's the Okay. So I mean I, it, that's always the the solution that some people throw out in these situations where if there were more guns, this would have made it better. That's like saying, if you're sick, let's put some more bacteria in my body. That will help me. Okay. Uh, let, let me devil's advocate for one second. Or actually just seek clarification. It would be, probably be better. Now, when you discuss this, you're referring to only developed nations, I assume. I would have to go back to the study. Uh, I, I know that was a major focus of the study. I'm not sure if that was the only focus or of the study but yeah. it was definitely the the conclusion that they had reached out of looking at these different factors the amount of guns was the best predictor of gun violence in a, a country I, I guess that would apply across the board but usually you know the, these these right-wing freaking gun enthusiasts like to to throw out like the first thing a dictator wants to do before they totally dominate the population is take their guns away and Every time they, they use that, it's like, okay, this was in an undeveloped fucking nation, okay? The people were stupid. They had no way of freaking reaching out to anyone else. And this is before the world got in, got connected through the internet. It's, it's a smaller place now. They can't You can't really do that too easily, especially in a developed nation. Whenever I hear that sort of argument, I don't understand what people think their hunting rifle or, say, even their AR-15 is going to do. If the government went in and they were going to, say, institute martial law and take over, we were both in, in, the, uh, in the army, we were tank crewmen, we were uh, crewmen on the M1, your, your assault rifle was going to do nothing to an M1. Exactly, it, it's it, laughable. If they wanted to do urban pacification, if they were really that serious about it, Oh, we have some agitators in that house. We're just going to roll through the house and not take the chance that you are going to wound uh, personnel. We are just going to drive through that. Exactly. Especially now with how drone technology has taken off in the last ten years, you won't mm -hmm. even have to. You won't have anybody to shoot at. You're, you're going to hunker down in your house, waiting for the government to come so you can shoot your low level, like the low level foot soldier. No, they can just release an explosive from. Uh, from like a, a predator drone, you were never. I mean, you don't have to be within fifty feet of the person uh, that kills you. 
So your yep. fucking your your rifle, it's not going to do anything. Right. Well, I mean, everyone everyone likes to go off of the Second Amendment, and the Second Amendment was written at a time where we had no standing army, where the most advanced form of warfare technology was basically a piece of technology you kind of needed to exist out in the world, which was a rifle, because you needed something to hunt with, right? And it was a breech-loading fucking flintlock or matchlock, I'm not sure what they were using at the time, that takes two minutes between rounds if you were a freaking capable loader. So, that was the pinnacle of warfighting technology at the time. Well, We've well, surpassed that. A lot of the Second Amendment actually has its roots in slavery, where it was written in a time, like you said, before we had a standing army. A, a linchpin of, of the South was states would have their own individual militia, which it mentions well-regulated militia in the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. That is because when they were making... Uh, uh, the South was afraid that if they ever, if we ever had a standing army, that would be a mechanism that the, the the North could use to to enforce a no uh, an abolishment of slavery, but the reason the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, was so important to the South, part of many Southern militias' responsibility was patrolling for runaway slaves and inspe- inspecting slave areas for materials to help runaway slaves, things to help the slaves escape. That was all part of their responsibility to so help to, to help the militia enforce slavery. That's why they needed that right to bear arms. So that's not mm-hmm. the only reason it exists, but that was a, a, a big reason that many people were pushing for that when they drafted the Constitution. Well, that is a nice piece of knowledge. I did not know that. So, yeah, that's... <sighs> That's that's where we're at. I, I actually I saw this awesome little commercial, and it was a, a, a pro gun control one where basically you have a uh, an active shooter situation where this guy you can see he's got a rifle. He comes storming into this office, right? Freaking, and, and it is a long gun. It is a huge long gun. You know, he freaking gets in the middle of this office in this cubicle farm. He freaking aims down his sights. He fires, misses his first shot. And then it turns out it's a fucking musket. So he stops and he starts freaking, you know, he starts getting the rod out and everything. And he starts cleaning out. And at this point, everyone's screaming and scattering. And by the time he gets reloaded, there's nobody there. And it's like, guns have changed in the last 200 some odd years. Why haven't our gun laws? (laughs) Uh, (coughs) I got to send you that YouTube link. It was pretty fucking funny. I will watch that. I just before anybody writes in and, and calls us a bunch of libtards or whatever, just think about this. You know who doesn't want gun control? Megatron. So you are siding with Megatron over the Earth when you were anti-gun control. Think about that. Did you, did you did you ever like read about like kids getting shot for pulling Megatron on a cop? Yes. Ah, uh, do you remember those days? Yes, that's why. In later iterations of Megatron, he was a tank. They first, and like they, when he was Galvatron, he was like a laser cannon, and then they, he was just a tank because of how many kids were getting themselves into trouble or shot with the semi-realistic-looking Walter PPK that the original G1 Megatron was. He it was pretty realistic-looking from what I remember. Yeah. Oh man! Back when freaking toys were toys, man, they were made out of diecast metal, and you can cut open your friend's head with one. <laughs> ah, the good old days. Do you remember the Rambo squirt gun line? 
Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I recall... Maybe it might be different if I looked at them as an adult, but as a kid, I remember those looking super realistic, and those were super cool. <laughs> okay, so uh, the spiders tried to kill you guys in an effort to uh, to stop yeah, gun they, control. Yes, they poisoned our water. <laughs> um, so, oh, go ahead. So, yeah, it, it's been that, and... and um, fifth grade science projects at the Casa del Cruz. That's that's what it's all been about. It's crazy to me that your kids are, are in the fifth grade now. It's so fucking freaky. They're going to be middle schoolers next year. What the fuck? Yeah. Jeez. Shoot me. Yeah, you need to watch Big Mouth to get ready for that. Big Mouth? Big Mouth on uh, Netflix. Oh, God. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think I played. Yeah, I played a uh, a clip from Big Mouth at the uh, as a uh, one of the clips at the end of the show several episodes back. I probably heard it. It was like, "What the hell is this?" Yes, talking about what the hell is this? I recently attended the Great Lakes Comic Con. What? Yes, it's pretty awesome. How was it? It was super cool because when I uh, I waited in line, I got up and I I got my press pass. And I felt like quite the baller walking in. I was a bit of an asshole because right when I walked in, there were people, they had some raffle tickets and they were uh, trying to get people psyched for the new Death Wish movie. And I had to ask them and I, and I told them I was not trying to be difficult, but I had to ask them what they felt the ramifications are in a movie that glorifies that I can solve my, uh, all my issues with a gun Pub, uh, publicizing that movie within a week of like a massive school shooting <laughs> and I told him I mean, oh, this boy. isn't a gotcha question and I mean if you want to say that you think this is harmless entertainment I mean that's fine you can make a, a, a compelling argument for that but I'm just you guys are sitting here trying to hype a movie which I don't know much about this reboot but the original movie and its sequels it's all I mean it is the it, that's the movie that right wing republicans and the NRA like jerk off to the yep. good guy with a gun, and it's the... You see this so much in media where we see... And it's usually a white male who he doesn't have to play by the, the system's rules. The There's somebody out here that I don't think... I don't like what they're doing. Screw due process. I'm going to shoot them. And you see people just, just revel in that narrative. That is, a I think, a tough sell to America right now. When even after the this this initial shoot, how many just Google school shootings and see how many incidents we've had in the last two weeks of guns on school campuses. Mm-hmm. So in that climate, you are pu- uh, publicizing that movie. You're doing PR for it. You have to feel some have to have some feelings or thoughts on is this really the narrative that we want to be selling right now? And again, if we have people who are yelling at their iPhones and their uh, Galaxy phones right now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with Death Wish. I mean, we've covered several Punisher issues on this podcast. I'm not saying that this is bad media and we shouldn't be consuming it. I'm saying we should be asking questions about it and and asking ourselves what this means for us, what this says about us, and what this says about our society. Agreed. Yeah, I, I mean, we are definitely in, in light of all this, you know, the school shooting and everything in Florida, uh, and, and the rising activism of the student body there, which has definitely made this 
incident feel like there was a difference compared to some of the past ones. Yeah, it, it's definitely caused me and my circle of friends to kind of re-examine some of why gun culture is such a big thing in the United States. And, and a lot of it does have to do with uh, with how we as an, uh, Americans, as American males especially, have been sold the image that it, the freedom is won at gunpoint and uh, guns equal freedom and if you don't have a gun you're somewhat slightly less free and also of course there's the toxic maxi- uh, masculinity aspect of you know guns being something that gives you power and all this other bullshit. Did you ever read Jurassic Park? It, it's I've read all of them but it's probably been a decade There's this great line by Ian Malcolm where he's talking about the cloning and bringing back an extinct species and do we have the knowledge? Do we are we responsible enough to be to, to, to know the consequences of what we're doing? And he uses this really great metaphor where he talks about take somebody who's a black bolt in uh, black bolt a black belt mm-hmm. in karate. This is somebody who's trained for years. He this is somebody who is like he's a master at this art. He can kill people with the with the power in his hands and feet. But this is something that he has a tremendous amount of respect for because he spent hours and hours and hours and hours to attain of, of training to attain that power. He knows that how to use it responsibly because of how much time went into it. But then you give somebody a gun who didn't have to work for any of that. They didn't. Uh, they didn't have to work for that power. It is given to them. You have somebody who's much more likely to use it irresponsibly. And I mean, that's what a gun is. You have this ultimate power, but it's it's not something that everybody has that ability to use wisely. Which is, I'm glad we've seen such a backlash with the uh, let's arm teachers. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. I would say at least maybe ten stories in the last year or two where we've seen kids assaulted by teachers in schools because they wouldn't stand for the national anthem. Or not this national anthem, but the Pledge of Allegiance. Yep. So, I mean, we see this with people. If you give somebody a hammer, the everything starts to look like a nail. You're not. If you give all these teachers guns, you're not going to have everybody use it responsibly. You're going to have people who... Oh, I'm encountering resistance. Oh, I feel slightly threatened. I'm good at Charles Bronson. When we talk about gun control, there's always a fun story I like to tell. I live in Michigan. There's a Home Depot about 45 minutes from me. It's much closer to where I used to live. It's in uh, Pontiac, Michigan. And a couple years ago, somebody stole some lumber or something, and they were so they were going to the parking lot to their car, and a store associate you know, ran out in the parking lot, like yelling, like, "Hey, that person just stole this merchandise." A woman had a concealed carry permit, and she totally Charles Bronsoned out. She took out her gun and she emptied like the entire magazine into like a busy parking lot to stop this guy who stole like fifty dollars or something in lumber. I can't remember what the exact items or amount was. She didn't hit the guy, but, I mean, it's miraculous that she didn't hurt anybody by emptying, you know, an entire mag into a, a parking lot. But she was, like, taken to court, and she lost, she can never have a concealed weapons permit again. And she was completely unrepentant, and when they interviewed her after she lost her concealed carry, she said some stupid crap like, this is what you get for trying to help somebody. I'm never going to try to help somebody anymore. Like, it's... You're missing the point that... 
it's good to want to help. But again, there was when Pokemon Go was popular. There was a story where some kids were outside somebody's house. Like, they were in the street in a parked car. They were driving around a neighborhood, and they'd found a Pokemon, so they stopped to catch it. An old man hold it, heard a noise, and when he looked outside and saw their car, the conclusion he immediately jumped to was, the, whoever's in that car had just broken into my house. So he got his gun, and he chased them while they drove away, and he, again, in a neighborhood, emptied the, like, an entire magazine at their car. So, I mean, again, we're not, I I don't think any of us, or you or me, are like, no one anywhere ever should have a gun, but you look at how many guns are out in the wild in the United States and how often they're used irresponsibly. Oh, it's not only that. I mean, if you look into it, I believe the statistic is 98% of uh, firearms that are used in illegal activities were at one point perfectly legal there's also been with the advent of a lot of these uh, concealed carry states making it easier to, to to have a concealed carry weapon there's been a uptick of uh weapons being stolen out of cars and fucking glove boxes and shit like that imagine that yeah go figure that so i mean basically by by allowing these people to freaking easier access to weapons they're making it easier for criminals to have weapons because these idiots fucking leave this shit unsecured all over the place i love all like the pictures you see in like texas where you can like there's parts of texas that you can like open carry you'll see people at like an applebee's or a tgi fridays and they have just like assault rifles on the table it's fucking nuts yeah oh did you hear about that church in pennsylvania where they did the blessing of the AR-15s? Uh, yeah, and, like, everybody came in, like, in, in, like, some sort of, like, weird cosplay where they were all dressed as, like, I don't know, like, freaking check chess pieces or something. And they all brought their AR- AR-15s. They had crowns made out of bullets and shit. I saw that, yeah. It was, like, the first, uh, I think, the first Church of the Punisher. <laughs> It was like the Church of Peace and Brotherly Love or something. Like, <laughs> Give us ten hail francs and five microchips and you may go, my son. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Really, people? Some of the shit you see with that, it's hard to reconcile that this is the age of smartphones and you know satellites and... I don't know. It's quite the... <sighs> I don't know, but yeah, we're we're totally fucking up this segment on the. Uh, we we have gone so into the weeds. If I don't <laughs> if I don't review the Great Lakes Comic Con, they said they were going to break my thumbs. <laughs> this is not true. <laughs> they are actually quite nice, and it was I, I can't remember if it was last year or two years ago. I had met Larry Hama at the Great Lakes Comic Con, and I was because he he's the guy who wrote GI Joe, the comics. And he used to be in the military. He used to be in the army. And so when I was telling him while he was autographing my book, you know, I told him I was in the army. He talked to me about for like 15 or 20 minutes about M1 tanks. He was like the nicest guy I've ever met at a con. And I've always had really great experiences at the Great Lakes Comic Con. Because it's, it's one of the smaller local cons. There's less people in costume, which it's, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with people who go and cosplay, but it's, it's such a, it's a smaller venue, so when you get those smaller venues, you, they, like I said, they had some great guests, they actually, I'm blanking on his name, they had the guy who, who was the lead and the greatest American hero. Oh, okay, cool. So they, they always have some good guests, but since it's a smaller venue, it's, 
you get people who always the people there are always really passionate. So I like to go to those smaller cons. You know, a lot of people just go to the bigger cons for the spectacle. I've always enjoyed the smaller ones, and the Great Lakes Comic Con is always a good balance. It's a smaller floor, but what you get there, it's always a really good experience. Nice. And, Very nice. And since I've been going to these local cons now for several years, people are starting to recognize me. So uh, when I saw some people who knew me, and they're like, you look for Amelia, and I'm like, oh, I bought this book from you, or I bought that book, and I, start, I started telling people about the Comic Con, or our podcast, a lot of people were really excited. One of the guys I met, and I don't want to say too much, but it looks like we might have an interview down the line. He was very interested in coming on and doing an interview, so I'm excited for that. But I just wanted to talk about two books. One of the books I'd actually purchased at uh, the Motor City Comic Con a couple of years ago, but I met the guy and I looked at his stuff. He's got some, uh, again, he's got some really interesting stuff. The creator's name is Brian E. Lau. Really nice guy. And he's got this book, Staunch Ambition. And it's about a space station that orbits Earth. And the first issue, has got a, like their controller puts a dynamite vest on himself. And there's a lot of weird stuff going on in there. I want to see him uh, read a few more <laughs> issues to see where it goes. It's a really great book. I want to see where it goes. The, the first issue, it's a, it's a little bit short. So I didn't get a, a really good feel of exactly where the plot's going. But it's got some intriguing hooks. And there was somebody... There were three guys that I had never met there before. They call themselves the three... Y, as in the letter Y, Three Wise Men. And they have a book called Motor City Mo. And this book was it's pretty fucking fun. It, uh, the cover that I have has, it kind of reminds me of the one of the Punisher Christmas specials we, we did, because it's got a stripper on the cover, and her outlines in, like, neon, like, uh, neon lights. But the plot of this one is you have a guy who's got a Wolverine-like healing factor, and the issue starts out with him shooting himself in the head and then just putting a roll of paper towels on the wound. <laughs> so he's suicidal, but he can't die. And you see he has like a list of all the ways he's tried to kill himself. And so he works for some gangsters in Detroit. And the guy just seems like a real loser. And he meets the stripper slash hooker and who's got like a, like a messed up scar or burn on the side of her head. And he takes her mini golfing when he like pays to take her out. It's a really <laughs> weird fucking book, and uh, this is definitely one I'm going to pick up more issues to see where this goes. You know, you it sometimes can be a mixed bag when you pick up these like local creators, but this is definitely one that I like. That it's <laughs> it definitely had me laughing out loud. So Motor City Mo and Staunch Ambition, and um, I'm going to talk to some of the, uh, these developers, uh, these creators, a little bit more and uh, some of the other local guys, and I would love to bring some of these people on the show to talk to you, our Legion of Fans. Ooh, Legion of Fans. So I want you guys to know, our Legion of Fans, you're all kind of unpatriotic and kind of assholes. Because, and I say that out of love, but episode 10 clearly stated in the episode description, if you don't review us on iTunes, the terrorists win. So I'd say everything wrong <laughs> in the country right now is because you didn't leave us that review. <laughs> you must really hate children in America. Yeah. But uh, just to close out, because I'm all over the map, if you guys are in the, the Motor City, if you're in Michigan or around Detroit, I would check out the Great Lakes Comic Con. They have a sister show that's even smaller, the Great Lakes Comics Ex Expo. That is a super small con, and again, that's one of my favorites too, just because... It's like a bunch of sweaty people like me haggling over 25-cent comics, and I, 
that may sound disparaging, and it absolutely isn't. That small con, everyone there is either super passionate about uh, comics or they're a bored spouse of somebody who's super passionate about comics. <laughs> it's super fun to go someplace where everybody you know is there for the has the exact same passion you do. So everybody talks about those big cons. I love those smaller ones. You're never going to meet more people with more passion. So Great Lakes Comic Con and Great Lakes Comic Expo, really good. If you're in the uh, Great Lakes area, if you're in the Michigan area, check them out. Nice. Very nice. Okay, that's it for that, which I think takes us to the main uh, the main event here. Ooh, okay. Back to War of the Worlds. I am quite excited for this. I am less so. <laughs> Does your tyranny know no bounds? It knows is no it because, bounds. Okay. Is it because you're rooting for the Martians, right? That's why you didn't like this issue? No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm rooting for Lando. I want to say, did you know that you're a fascist? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been called that. You once are or twice. a fascist because of how much you have coughed this episode, because you keep coughing when I'm talking. Which do you know what that means? We have to go the uh, the audacity route, which means I'm going to have to uh, silence your mic every single time I'm talking. I am trying so fucking hard not to cough. Okay? I want you to know every cough is 45 seconds to a minute and a half of labor for me. I, I, I you have my deepest apologies. Okay. I appreciate it. Hey, we, we, we got it out there in the beginning of the episode. Everyone in my house was sick. So, you know, I mean, let, let's, let's add a little reality to it and have a couple of coughs here and there inside the recording. I mean, it's worth it, though. Last time I checked, we had about 1,500 subscribers. And on our Patreon page, we're about to hit that next stretch goal that if you are one of our backers on Patreon and you contribute more than $3.50... I will either come over and sleep at your house, or I have a, a leaky inflatable mattress that you can use to sleep in my basement, the comic book dungeon. Ooh, get locked up in the dungeon. Yes. Nice. Nothing says slumber party like a dungeon slumber party. Ain't no party like a dungeon party. Yes. The Catholic <laughs> Church will verify that. Anyway, <laughs> we are, we are so, tangent heavy today, yeah. which is why you guys tune in. Yes, we are. So, issue 28... Yes, this is issue 28, the January 1975 issue. Ooh, boy. Amazing Adventures featuring War of the Worlds. Starring the one and only, the red-haired one, the galactic savior, Killraven. They really pushed the galactic savior uh, angle this issue. (laughs) Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. They pushed that shit hardcore. And in this issue, we have savage mutants stalk the streets of a ruined city as Killraven battles the Death Breeders of Chicago. And extra, the shocking origin of the girl called Volcania. Swords versus science gone mad is only Marvel could present it. Man, I am all in already. Yeah, I will. I will say the uh, the text on the cover was definitely. Very alluring. It, it, it definitely grabs you by the balls and says, watch this. The illustration, on the other hand, is a little fucking confusing. I definitely, starting last issue, I definitely have the feeling I was their target demographic for this book. Because as of, like, last issue, it's not like I wasn't liking Kill Raven, but it's like it's gone into high gear for me. And uh, I'm going to slightly disagree. I really like this cover. Hmm. 
I, I mean, it, it, it's got the action. The, the Death Breeders are kind of a little washed out. Killraven's got a good pose. Volcana's got something going on. It looks like she's got some sort of upset stomach that's just attempting to explode out of her abdomen. What she looks like a lot to me is if you've seen uh, Havoc you know, from the X-Men and X-Factor, when he uses his power, when it's, like, emanating out of his chest, it looked a lot like that. She seems to be, like, an amalgamation of a lot of comic book characters. You've got the red hair that's prehensile, like Medusa, but she's always got her arms out with, like, power emanating from her, like Phoenix, with a lot of that flame mm-hmm. imagery. And her power, like like you said in that pose, it's very much just that bright light coming out. It's like Havoc. It seems like they uh, they threw in a lot of these... Well, I mean, Phoenix wasn't a thing yet, but Medusa and Havoc were. So, I mean, it definitely... I like what they've done with the character. She's pretty cool. The design. Okay. And just want to say that this issue, we have the no banner again for uh, our background on the War of the Worlds banner, which we always enjoy. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we have our characters. They're on some tracks that are... This is Chicago, so this is the, the famous... Chicago Loop, so they're on these elevated tracks, and I, I agree with you. I don't know what g- is going on with Volcania. It almost looks like she's like hovering. Yeah, yeah. But it, we have and the coloring on the uh, Death Breeders. Like I agree, it is a little bit washed out. But there's like seven of them, and they are attacking Kill Raven. And Kill Raven is like, I mean, they're they're grabbing him from behind. They're about to stab him, and like lock, they're locking his arm behind his back, and he's got his sword up triumphantly. If you change like the, the clothing a little bit on this, this would absolutely be a Conan cover. Yeah, yeah, totally. I can see yeah. that. It, it, it is hyper masculine, but it's super cool. Yeah, I, and I will say I, I like the fact that Volcana's not like in some sort of supine position, just like begging to be rescued. I, I was just about to say that. Yeah, she doesn't. She's not a damsel in distress. I'm not exactly sure what it is she's doing, but I'm sure it's something cool. <laughs> she's not saying kill Raven, save me. Yeah, I mean, sure. what was it last issue where? Uh, uh, Camilla Frost was like on the ground with her arms snaked around like his ankle in like just the most subservient pose. Yeah. I mean, that was so ridiculous. Right. Yeah. So. So I dug this cover, but then I think we both agree when we go to the inside page that this is the worst title page that we've gotten so far. Oh, God. Yeah. And this is the Death Merchant, and this was written by Don McGregor. Artist and colorist is Craig Russell. Letterer Roger Stifler, and as always, our steamed editor is Roy Thomas. Nice. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> this title page. Uh. It, it's. I don't know. You know. I really. I really felt that there was. There's been a, a gradual artistic shift with character design. Uh, starting since last issue, but I, it really became noticeable to me in this one. Where it went less roid heavy and kind of more like almost like normal body type for the male characters. I mean, like if you look at the comparison between the cover and the title page, Kill Raven almost looks like a fucking normal human being instead of like a roided out Conan. Clone. Yeah, I mean, on the cover, he's very much Conan, and like yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. He's more drawn like a normal uh, human male. 
That's the only normal thing I will say about this title page, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's all the fucking stars and shit all over the place. That I mean, background? It's almost like My Little Pony met Killraven. That background is the most 70s picture, I like the most 70s X thing I have ever seen. Yes. Especially, like you said, there's like the weird hippie stars that are just... It, do you remember like the scene breaks from the, the 70s Wonder Woman? That's what it yes. looks like. <laughs> you got that. He's kind of got this like weird posing, and I don't know what's up with his face. It looks like freaking like Toxie the Avengerish. <laughs> I the comparison is funny. I don't think he quite looks like Toxie. <laughs> There's something going on, like with wow, how they drew his face, dude. What is going on with his sword? Which, it looks like it's almost made of wood, and it's like, it's almost got like an arrow point at the end, and all these crazy features, and it's just, the weight. Okay, dude, 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 sorry to cut you off here, but if that was his actual sword, I, I, I'd be thrilled, but you know it's not. You know, the, it's like some weirdly complex design blade that looks pretty dope and futuristic as fuck, but... Yeah, especially... Well, how, how look how he's holding it? That's like when you buy an action figure that doesn't have a lot of articulation, and you're trying to make it look cool. But yeah, I'm gonna have it awkwardly pointing like towards the ground, and my hand's gonna be three feet from my side. Nobody would ever hold anything like that. No, no. but yeah, continue. Yeah, I, I I like the design of the sword. The way he's holding it's fucking it's stupid. Ridiculous. Not as ridiculous though as his boot flaps. Yes. Like, jeez, dude, what the fuck is up with the bootstrap, flap, flap, flippity flap thing? It looks like somebody tied, like, blue handkerchiefs to his knees. They're so big. Like, please tell me what the functional point of that thing is. Somebody took some LSD before they drew the title page? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's there's what a, it looks like. I mean, it is super trippy. There is a history of that at 1970s Marvel, so I am not discounting it. And just that starry background where it looks like there's Saturn... And then there's a that weird webbing on the planet that's above it. I mean, that looks super ridiculous. Do you remember, like, the old Clear Eye commercials with Ben Stein? Yeah. That's exactly what it looks like to me. I, I guess that's supposed to be, like... What was it, like, people... Since there was water on Mars at one point, and weren't there, like, these aquifers and freaking natural waterways that everyone could sort of see from Earth? You are being... Very I mean, generous right now, and uh, I am reaching hard. Looks like okay? I, I am. It looks so like someone with a bloody nose sneezed on a planet, <laughs> and there's just bloody snot now on it, like snot strands. Uh, fair the, enough. The text that we get on, because instead of getting like a comic panel where it tells us that we we get the different panels and it tells it in a comic book form, and they did this several times this issue, not just this page. We get a picture. And then we get a, a couple paragraphs on the side, and it's mm -hmm. the words are not any less hippie esque or weird than like the 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 dialogue is just as weird as the picture. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I just I, I could I could have done without the dialogue. No, we covered this a little bit last issue, but knowing what the subject of this issue is, I'm wondering if maybe this has something to do with why Marvel hasn't digitally released these or done a Marvel Masterworks. That if Disney might be a little gun-shy about baby-eating? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. 
and it's yeah, Killer Even definitely goes to some dark places here I, and there. I'm going to get into this a little bit more later. I applaud the creative team so much because you would expect them to kind of duck out on this or only kind of imply this, and they it felt like they'd only implied the baby eating last issue. It is so in your face, this issue. Mm-hmm. I think the courage it took for the creative team to stick with that concept and be so bold with it was not probably an easy thing to do in 1970s in a comic book. So I absolutely applaud it. Yeah, I, I mean, they, they definitely alluded to it and they, they stuck with it throughout the whole issue that, yes, they were they had human farms they were breeding humans and they were eating them. And much like veal, the most tender human meat is the baby meat. <laughs> I wonder how they, because I, I, I just double checked the cover. It's got the comics code authority on this. I wonder how they got this by the comics code. Well, because they never showed anything. I hear you, but I mean, they couldn't even put vampires or uh, like zombies in, in comic books that had the comics code. So, I mean, it. Dracula's not okay, but they eventually loosened that, I think, in the 70s. But, I mean, they had so many issues with, like, zombies, but you can put baby eating. You could put implied baby eating. I mean, at no point do you have an illustration of a Martian with, like, a fucking little charred baby hand sticking out of its mouth while it's smacking its lips. Although that would be an awesome panel. I, I agree, but I it seems like it just the concept might be a little bit too too graphic. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could say, yeah, the, the concept is pretty graphic, but I mean, I, I think it depends on how far you're willing to let your imagination run with it, because that, that's ultimately what they left it to, was your imagination. They said, yet the Martian eat the babies. That's about it. They, they didn't, like, show it. They didn't show babies being ripped away from their freaking moms and stuff. They just, it, it was all implied. There's a an album cover from the 80s where it's got Ronald and Nancy Reagan eating a baby on the cover and I'm it's killing me. I can't think of the name of the the band, but just how you described the baby eating very much reminded me of that. It was a punk band and I'm blinking on it. <laughs> but yeah, it very much reminds me of that. If anybody can help me cuz I could not Google it, if there's uh some 80s punk fans out there who are just pounding on their phone saying, Mark, you idiot, it was this band. Comic Book Dungeon Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know. <laughs> Editor's note the album is the 1986 release by the Dago Abortions called Fetus a Fetus. But, uh, man, we are, we are taking a little while to get into this, but that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. We're, we're getting into it. We're just dipping our toes in it bit by bit. Just one last thing on this front page. Because this doesn't really add anything to the story, and the next page really gets us going. I'm wondering if they were maybe the filler, the the B story was a little bit short, and they used this as a page filler. Maybe. But our real first page is a double page splash. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is a nice one too. Yes, it gives us some context. It tells us that the uh, story the story takes place in April 2019. And the last issue was in March of 2019. <laughs> after we left our heroes, after they first met Volcana and the Death Merchants, or the Death Breeders, and Kill Raven had his vision that showed him Adam and Eve, 
They spent this last month. It looks like they've been doing some reconnaissance on the Death Breeders and the Death Birth. <laughs> yes, Death Birth. I love that name for the fucking city, dude. Super cool. They, I'm not sure if this is the correct, correct pronunciation, but it is the Meg Airfield in Chicago is where they are at. That sounds about right. You, we can see several planes decomposing in the background. Mashula is fishing with an energy rod through a hole in the ice. He's there. Ice fishing. Yep. <laughs> On Lake Michigan. It. People do that every year, and people fall through the ice every year. Yep. Go figure. I think we had some disagreement on this page. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is definitely some disagreement to be had on this page. Mashula, he questions uh, why uh, Kill Raven trusts Volcana Ash right away, but he's still suspicious of Camilla. I say that is bullshit, because when they met Camilla... Camilla was working uh, with the Martians, trying to trying to kill them. She was absolutely a collaborator, and she was in on that whole plot where they captured Kill Raven and the Free Ben. I see why he didn't trust her right away. Where when they first met Volcanic Ash, she was helping. She joined them in their cause and has been helping them fight the Martians' agenda. Oh, okay, okay. Look, yes. Camilla was working for the Martians. Yes, she helped capture them. Who broke them out again? Because it sure as hell wasn't Kill Raven. No, Camilla, I agree with you. Camilla helped free them from Warlord. However, who is working with Warlord for the four, first four fifths of the issue? I, I understand that, but you know she was waiting for her moment. She she had to wait for the moment, the pr- perfect opportunity to make her escape as well. I mean, she wasn't just freeing the Freeman; she was freeing herself and Grok do you, too. Do you watch Stargate SG One? Have you watched a- at all? Mm, uh, I've seen like one. She's or two episodes. Teal, and if you remember, it took the United States government a while to trust Teal because you change sides. What's going to change? Stop you from changing sides again? I'm not saying he has not been a complete, unreasonable asshole to Camilla Frost. I am not defending his behavior towards Camilla Frost because he's been a giant dick. I am saying that Mashula's argument there is full of holes and is bullshit. It is full of thinking errors. Hmm. I, I don't know. I think Mashula's gotten to know Camilla best and really has gotten gotten to see her motivations and see her true self. I'm totally on your your side that I think they should be trusting Camilla now. She has proved herself. But saying you trust Volcanic Ash more at the front of our relationship than you did Camilla is ridiculous. What he does. I mean, what she do? She like fucking... Like the only thing she's done as of yet is burn Hawk. That That, that is it. not true. So, she, uh... You could make an argument that she 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 didn't necessarily lead them into a trap, but she took them into a bad direction that made them confront the Death Breeders. So you could be a little bit suspicious of that. But yeah, she had Hawk and Killraven dead to rights, and she didn't do anything. She she and she even backed down. She joined the group, and she's been an ally ever since. So she she didn't have to dig herself out of a deficit in the relationship like Camilla Frost did because she was never a uh, a Martian agent like she was. Okay, I'll. We. Uh, I, I, I was about to, to say disagree. we can agree to, to disagree. And again, you at home. I would love if you guys would write in and if you want to, again, agree with how right Mark is or 
call out uh, Cruz and his hypocrisy, comicbookdungeon at gmail.com. <laughs> if you disagree with me and agree with uh, Cruz, the email address is not comicbookdungeon at gmail.com. It's funny how that works, because I'm a petty man. Amazing. So, but that's okay. We will agree to disagree. And while uh, this is going on, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to go very good for yeah, him. Yeah, Mishula's happily fishing away here. It, doesn't it always go well for them when they're over a body of water and there's absolutely nothing large with lots of I gotta say, for them? Volcanic Ash is probably the last person I would want sitting with me on the ice. <laughs> so I will back you that she's not necess- I would definitely take Camilla Frost over her in their present situation. Uh, you know, it just struck me about how they how they're playing the two. You know, Camilla Frost and Volcana Ash. That's a really good point. One's hot, one's cold. Yeah, it just 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 clicked in my head right now. We're, but yeah, I, I do have to agree with some of your points because where Camilla Frost has actually worked pretty hard to make herself part of the group. Volcanic Ash is she's kind of a dick. No, yeah, she, exactly. Well, she's more than just a dick. I mean, she's just sitting there freaking just. <sighs> she is. Well, first off, uh, apparently Kill Raven is just enamored with her, and there is a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Kill Raven's libido on display here. And there's a lot of heavy flirtation that's going on between Kill Raven and Volcana Ash. I, I'm not going to say that he's not infatuated with her, but I'd say most of the libido we see, it's her pursuing him. Oh yeah, I, would try, I I won't deny it either which way. They they both have the the, the hots for each other, which, <laughs> pun intended. Which I think he needs to look past that because as helpful as she is, like old hawk is cold or old skull is cold, and she just like whoosh like set some wood on fire next to him, with, but without any warning. She's a little too free and easy with her flame powers. Mm-hmm. She's a bit of a hothead. Oh shit. <laughs> I got. Uh, she's she's playing fast and loose, Vol- loose with the heat. Would you rather have mint julep or volcanic ash? Mint julep. Yes, agreed. See, we're we're right back in sync again. Yeah, mint julep definitely was a, a pretty cool character. I like that we see some of the fish that Mashula has caught. They look a little mutated. Just a little. One of their faces looks a lot like Jar Jar Binks to me. Y- uh, yes, 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 it does. We find out that Ash is helping Kill Raven go after the Death Breeders, which he saw last issue in a vision. What they're doing now is they're actually at an observation point of the citadel that Ash has found. So she showed them this location where they can do kind of a some they can reconnoiter the death birth. Right, and uh, you know, of course, they've got to eat, so that's why Mashula's ice fishing. And she lit the fire so they could cook their fish without any warning. Right, and uh, apparently Mashula gets a. It's a little bite on the line. That is a crazy-looking design. It's a giant fish, and it looks like a cross between a Chinese dragon and a trout. You know, any time you watch The Simpsons and they, like, anthropomorphize something with Homer's face on it, that's kind of what this looks like to me. Okay. I gotta say, I'm not seeing that. I'm really seeing the Chinese dragon on a fish body. The, the face looks too too human-like. I mean, you know, the freaking forward-set eyes, the nose, the gaping maw with the filed teeth. Okay, maybe not the filed... Maybe not the teeth, but it, it looks... Uh, yeah. And it is huge. 
it is huge and it comes through the ice and it uh it is going after Mashula because he's got its hook stuck in his mouth. Yeah, like yeah, it's got its hook stuck somewhere in its freaking maw. <laughs> and it doesn't like it either. Nope. He's quite mad. So Killraven tells Hawk to get the photo nuclear annihilator. That's that's um that's a mouthful. Yes, and talking about mouthful, uh, the fish with it, th- its teeth are longer than uh, his hand. Mm-hmm. And we see, I mean, they latch onto Mashula's arm. Yeah. I can't believe he didn't lose his arm. But I love we get a really bad one-liner from Killraven. You're right, you were right, Mashula. The fish are biting today. It's probably <laughs> not the time for that asshole. Uh, Killraven's quips. Oh, I love it. I love it, man. He's always got something witty to say. Kill Raven. He doesn't waste any time. He jumps onto the fish's back and tries to, and he's stabbing it with his ionic blade. I love. We get so many good names for the stuff now, like all their technology and their utensils. I know. It's like they tried so hard to like come up with cool science fictiony sounding names for everything. And a lot of them are so bad that they're awesome. Yeah. They- fucking pretty bad so yeah Mashula freaking gets his arm freaking bit on it doesn't freaking get bitten off but which is surprising incredibly surprising apparently he's in a great deal of fucking pain yeah spoiler alert he becomes a werefish that would be dope as fuck he's pretty much up shit creek because the ionic blade is not doing anything to this fish however it's it's pulsating However, we have a loose cannon with super flame powers. So Volcanic uses her powers, and it's kind of cool. If you look at it, it kind of like makes her translucent. I think there's a part further on in the story. We go into her backstory, and I'm not going to talk about that, but there is something within that backstory that deals with, like, I don't know, like the nuclear fusion of stars being somehow bred into her body, and it looks kind of like you're looking into space and there's a sun churning within her whenever she activates her powers. If you've ever seen the Marvel character Eternity, she looks a little bit like that, but yes. tinted red. And yeah. so much of this character, because this is a few years before uh, Phoenix debuted in the X-Men, which I want to say is Uncanny X-Men 150? Oh, 101. Mm. Uncanny X-Men 101. I have it on the wall, so... uh. So this, I mean, you can see uh, the the powers and the look, it's a little bit reminiscent of uh, Jean Grey's Phoenix, so it's kind of cool that this is a few years beforehand. (laughs) I'm wondering if they were kind of inspired. Yeah, I think maybe they were. So, yeah, Volcana freaking uses their superpower, which blasts everybody clear and kills the giant werefish. Yeah, she kicks its ass. Well, yeah, and it's still clamped down on Mashula, unfortunately. How cool is it, too? Because when she shoots her flame, like, Killraven has to kind of, like, it looks like he's popping out of the, uh, moving out of the way. Because, I mean, it, there's no way his ass and back are not tan after that. Yeah. Or burned. A little sunburn. He's got some silver stars (laughs) burnt into his back. (laughs) Yeah, it looks super cool. Killraven probably has a neat tan after that. Yeah, Mashula's just like, this crazy bitch needs to get away from me. And, uh, you know, upon discussion, uh, I, I think the group decides that he's probably better suited to go to Camilla to get some uh, some healing. Yeah, he, he makes a comment, or Killraven says he wouldn't even accept help from me, which Mashula's like, I've seen how you fix yourself up. So yeah, he leaves a nice bloody trail, and he seeks out Camilla, who's with Grok. Right, so from there... Uh... 
<laughs> you, you get uh, Volcana and Killraven talking to each other for a little bit. Yeah, we get some uh, dialogue between them. We also learn that uh, Grok, he's still injured from the Lamprey last issue. Oh, yeah. They suspect that, or Camilla suspects that he has internal bleeding and that she admits to letting the Martians corrupt her when she first cloned a Grok for them in the first place. Right. And that leads to the underlying question, exactly who is Grok? You know, I mean, I've got my suspicions, but... Yes, she is Camilla from the future. (laughs) Okay. Uh, uh, Volcana has some little dialogue with Killraven. Which is fun. Like, Killraven confronts her, uh, telling her that her deviltry is more perplexing than Camilla's. Because Camilla hasn't yet revealed Grok's identity, but... Ash hasn't told them anything about her. Right, she's still a bit of an enigma. Yes. Which, again, she's been with them for a month, and they haven't get, she hasn't gone into any details about who she is or how she can shoot fire. And, like you said, like she's got all the cool suns and stars inside her when she uses her powers. I'd be asking that in the first five minutes. It was like how they trekked across the country for two months before Hawk's like, why are we going to Yellowstone? Right, well, I mean, I, I, I guess the the worst casualty of the Martian apocalypse has been curiosity. <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, shit. Good, good call. But, uh, yeah, Camilla tells, uh, not Camilla, uh, Volcana tells all. She gives us a little backstory, which is nice and refreshing. She tells us she doesn't like to dwell on her past, that's why she hasn't talked about it, but she doesn't like to dwell on... Uh, her past to her sis about her family her sister or when the martians destroyed their home and uh, we go into a nice flashback and it's done very much in the style of that first cover page where it's done less in panels and more in these paragraphs surrounding a central image or two right yeah and and, and the uh imagery for her is stunning i i I must say it's it's definitely an awesome panel looks very human torch-esque yeah, exactly. It's it's very uh, very human torch esque, and you know you've got all the doctors and everything, and they're like fucking exposing her to cosmic rays of some sort, and she like goes all nuclear and shit, which is yeah pretty dope. Yeah, it says here her origin: she was bitten by a radioactive Martian in a match. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Did you ever see the Onion article? It has like the it was dated the first issue of uh, Spider Man Amazing Fantasy fifteen, and it's a uh, local teenager bitten by a radioactive spider dies of leukemia. <laughs> no, I've not seen it. No. Oh. Anyway, I'm digressing. But yeah, we get here that Ash and her sister were taken by tripods after their house was destroyed. She was taken to the Death Birch, uh, which. This, we get a fun little story here that it, to her teenage mind, it looked like a palace that she saw in the 1996 Century Simulator release of Cinderella. So Marvel's tying in Mar- uh, Disney even yep. back then. They knew they were going to get bought but out. But instead, this palace made slaves. Her sister was uh, uh, taken into a pen, uh, to a pen, and she became uh, an Eve. Uh, which we saw in last issue, so she's giving birth to babies that are going to be eaten by the Martians. Ash, however... Chomp, chomp. (laughs) Yeah, there's just Pac-Man back there going to town. 
Yep. Ash was experimented on by the Keepers. She was saturated by some sort of rays and became the macrocosm of galaxies. Yeah, the she be, I became the macrocosm. I was the universe conceiving planets, mother to the dawning galaxies. I really don't think there's a coherent thought in there. Again, I feel a lot of these were conceived with maybe some LSD. Yeah, this is total hippy-dippy shit, man. Well, anyway, I don't know why they thought this was a great idea, because it gave her these super flame powers where she can summon flame and magma, which, of course, she used to... She turned on the keepers, used to escape, and they've been hunting her ever since. Like, how do you hunt someone like that? I I just think they don't tell the uh, death keepers. They're like, oh, yeah, sure, she's not that powerful. Cause, yeah, she's I would, really uh, red, and she's kind of hot, okay? Yeah, she's got a few flame powers. Don't worry, you can take her. No, they just tell them she's hot. And they're like, oh, wait, she's hot? Yeah, let's go get her. But this scene does confirm what we learned. La- it was just implied last issue, but it confirms the Martian are taking children from the breeding pens and eating them. Mm-hmm. It's a full smorgasbord of babies. Yep. <clears throat> so we go back to our original couple. Um, yes, we go back. Eve, uh, what, what number Eve is she? Is it... I believe it's 3,061. 3,031. 31, yes. It's in my notes. I said 61 because I'm stupid. I was looking at the page and not my notes. <laughs> that makes no sense. I was looking at the comic book page instead of my notes that have a lot of those factoids already uh... kind of extrapolated. Did you notice in this first panel that they say that uh, Chicago was known as the Inland Empire? Yes, that's kind of funny. I Well, I did research on that, and I could not find one Google hit saying that Chicago was known as the Inland Empire. I think there was a company in Chicago at one point called the Inland Empire, but as Cruz and I and many people uh, in California know, that like Inland California, like Riverside... Uh, Montclair, like that whole area. San Bernardino. San Bernardino. That's all known as the Inland Empire. Yeah. Why? Because people from California are are, are arrogant and they like to give themselves cool titles. Exactly. I just call it down to hill. Yes. It's much <laughs> less pretentious. Yep. And it lets you know there's a hill involved. Exactly. So, so you're like, you, oh, go ahead. Yeah, we're in Chicago or and uh, in Death Birth, and we're going <laughs> back to Adam and Eve three thousand thirty one, and uh, it it looks like uh, Miss Eve is about ready to pop, and they're worrying about the Fear Master, Mister Adelon, who really does. I don't know why I'm stuck on Toxie the Avenger, dude, because this guy does look like him a lot. I will agree with that. He's got a very melty face. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like someone had one of, like, Madame Tussaud's wax figures and took a blowtorch to half of it. I just think before this scene, he left his face in the microwave just 30 (laughs) seconds too long. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But other than that, he seems to be a pinnacle of health. (laughs) And he uh, he arrives because the babies do, like you said, and he's taking uh, Eve uh, to the sacrificer, which we don't get a lot of information on until later. So that was a fun reveal, right? You know, he he mentions uh, Adam's kind of uh, getting a little pissed off about this, and Adelon's just taunting him re- relentlessly. Yes, and that's where he deliver. He does mention the uh, the Martian banquet halls. Yes, which. I, everything this issue was laying down, I was digging. Eating babies, banquet halls for their baby meals. I mean, this is all over twist taken to the third level. Or great expectations. 
<laughs> right. So yeah. So Adam, of course, gets kind of pissed off about this and proceeds to sucker kick fucking Adelon, which yeah results in the usual like you filthy, disgusting. Two-legged swine, you touched me. Yeah, he loses his shit. Like, he's pulling on his face like it's a rubber mask. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And after... Yeah, so Adelon gets kicked. You struck me with your disgusting filth after all the patience I've shown you. And it literally looks like he's pulling the skin off his face. He's so upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, apparently his patience at an end, and uh, they, they're they going to go kill him, and they're going to take Eve's baby and partner her up with someone that's a little less um, rebellious, shall we say? This is a really cool scene. So he summon, he, Well, he's having his like little tantrum here. He summons some death breeders, who they arrive on these super cool hover discs. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely pretty, pretty awesome transportation out there. I wish we would have gotten a cool onomatopoeia for those. Like a vroom. That's what I originally pictured, and because of this, and then another visual in the issue that I'll, I'll touch on in a few pages. I'm going to imagine they make the sound that the Jetsons car makes. You know, that's what I was thinking about. That you know, the brrrr. yes. Brrrr. <laughs> 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 Nobody who's evil could ride a disc that goes. No, no, it's just, no. Well, apparently we're wrong because yeah, they're uh, coming to execute him. Yeah, if only you had those like little line with little rings around it that goes behind it to denote some sort of exhaust trail. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. But instead, we have these freaking death breeders freaking slapping their electrified looking weapons and getting ready to kick some ass. Did you see the Masters of the Universe movie with Dalf Lundgren? Yes, yes, I there, did. There's some hover discs kind of similar to that uh, in that movie, similar to this, in the uh, beginning. I must watch it again. <laughs> the goodest reason is any to rewatch that movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like uh, you said, they have uh, those cool truncheons that they actually look a lot like Cleon paint sticks. Yeah. And they're gonna yeah. they're gonna take Adam to the liquidation center. Mm, yeah. Which I believe I bought a couch there once. Everything must go, right? Yes. <laughs> Couches, Adams, everything must go. Exactly. Unborn babies. Adam begs for mercy if it will save them, but Eve tells Adam not to let Adelon take his dignity. Right, which Adelon proceeds to take by smashing Adam's face into the ground with his boot. Yeah, it says he's driving into the mud and we see a brown explosion. But like I, I laid down last issue, I don't see a toilet in those pens. That is shit. That is him and uh in and and Eve's feces. I mean they just I'm sure somebody came back and cleaned the corn and whatnot out of there, but we know what this is. We're adults. Yeah, uh that's gross. That's exactly what my notes say too. <sighs> that so, we yeah. know the score, it's human shit. So yeah, so so they take him off, and you know Adelon grabs Eve and drags her off. We they really hammer in the scene. They say it over and over again. He's taking her like to the sacrificer to take her baby out, and her baby is going to be eaten. Mm-hmm. Mm, tasty finger I mean, food. It's like it's four p.m. and it's dinner time at the old country buffet. Pretty much, yeah, and. and... Yeah, I mean they are. Yeah, it is. It is baby eating time. I mean they are. They are not shy about this. And again, where I, I thought they were going to go kind of half in because last issue, they only implied it. I mean, this whole issue, they say it over and over again. This took a lot of, uh, I think, courage for them to do in 1975. 
Yeah, and they're very they're very in your face with it. I mean, he, you know, Adelon takes her to the banquet hall, and you you see some Martians looking very hungry. How do they get to the banquet hall? There, there's oh that freaking that the vacuum uh, uh, the air tube thing. Yeah, it, it's like the the elevator you see in the uh, the Jetsons. So we're seeing oh, a fuck. couple. <laughs> it's yes. called a pneumatic transplacer, which is awesome. It's an awesome name for it. But yeah, it definitely looks like the the little uh, air tubes that the Jetsons use. Or so they how about the little air tubes you have at the bank or at like freaking the bigger grocery stores and shit where they send like paperwork back and forth? Yes, it looks like that as well. They also have those tubes in Futurama. Yes, yes, they do. So yeah, they're they're using old new tech with the uh, pneumatic transplacer, and uh, he takes her to the banquet hall. And, uh, you know, it looks like the uh, character design in the Martians uh, went with a, a little revision or something yeah. between the last episode, the last issue. The one on the right looks a little bit like a peanut. He does. He he looks like Mr. Planner's peanut. I keep wanting to visualize a top hat and monocle. Yes. Before taking her to the, to the place to sacrifice her where they're going to take her baby out, on the way there... He takes her to the place where the Martians are waiting to eat her baby. <laughs> what an asshole. Yeah, he's a bit of a dick. I mean, I can't believe this isn't a Marvel comic. This was... I mean, of all the stuff they could only hint at in Punisher comics, the entire theme of this episode is... Or this issue is, your baby's going to get eaten. You can't go with, like, two word balloons without somebody reminding you, yeah, Eve's baby's about to get eaten in the baby-eating ink, uh, oh, uh, banquet hall. I, I love his explanation of this, and he's like, a slight detour, my dear. This is the banquet hall. The Martians, as you know, are asexual. They find Earthlings primitive, emotions ludicrous, but the byproduct is nutritious. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, he's totally just like, I'm just going to relentlessly fuck with you about this shit. Do you think it's the stem cells that's what makes them nutritious? Probably. I mean, when you're an amorphous blob with nothing but tentacles, I mean, I, I guess stem cells are great. Man, I I am so in love with this issue. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, you know, he Adelon's just, you know, going off about his masters, and he makes the comment that so few humans get to see them, and Eve is like, and you still call yourself human? And he's like, yeah, of course. And then we cut over to the next page. Which, this this page made me very happy. It brings back an oldie but a goodie. Yeah, we see our friend Foropolist from Battle Creek. He's standing in front of a grave, and it never outle- they never outright say it, but it's heavily implied that that grave belongs to our friend Stunrage. Mm-hmm. Killed by Killraven. Yeah. And Foropolist, he actually made the grave uh, stone himself. Yeah, he's he's mourning his, his dear departed leader, and, you know, as he's sitting there mourning behind him. I don't know how the hell he didn't notice it. A fucking tripod comes up. Well, he's got his ears covered in that stupid hat. True. You are quite right. It must muffle the noise of the screech of the fucking giant tripod. We can only assume. I I do like the imagery on the upper right panel, though. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I I really like this whole page. I thought it was a cool callback, but we see Scar and his red tripod, his grabbed... uh, grabbed. Uh, what's the tripod's name? Was it Red Devil? Uh, the Devil's Marauder. Devil's Marauder. 
I do think that he has a fucking cool named vehicle, which is awesome. Yeah, he's uh, he's got Foropolist in his tripod's grip. And how did he know to come here? Well, the last issue, uh, he was uh, there was a, a couple of pages dedicated to him talking with the Master Overlord. Yes, so he was on Kill Raven's. He was trying to track down Kill Raven, and I love that this is a great callback. He knew to go to Battle Creek because Kill Raven was a uh, narcissistic asshole and wrote. It's been writing Kill Raven was here on every fucking wanted poster, which left a night that left a nice trail for Scar to follow. So that's how he knew to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he actually alluded to that too. Yes. In yeah. previous issues. Yes, he said, I saw the name scrolled on a wanted poster, uh, so he knows that Killraven was there, and that's why he's interrogating Foropolist for Killraven's whereabouts. Yes. <laughs> Poor Foropolist. He's, he's just... He's just... Oh, I don't know what the fuck is wrong he, with this guy. He, he's very simple. He's like Lemmy. Yeah, yeah. Scar is very rude to him. It's really unnecessary, and actually, like the the name calling is pretty counterproductive to his goal of interrogation. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, all for Paulus is worried about is that he's going to get a nosebleed because he's so high. Which I gotta say, he sh- he was right to be worried because I'm pretty sure his nose is bleeding after this. <laughs> <laughs> so, for Paulus doesn't know uh, where Kill Raven is. He just says that he's killed Stunrage, and. Well, instead of just letting him go on his way out, uh, Scar uses his tripod and throws him head first into the gravestone that he made. Mm-hmm. And he's not dead right away. His skull is just like fractured and he slowly dies as the tripod uh, and he whimpers as this tripod just fades into the distance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, poor for Polis. He, <laughs> he, he didn't deserve that death. No, that was that was that was some bullshit. Uh, I guess we cut back to our merry band of travelers. I wish that we had a couple more of those issues of Kill Raven on the uh, on the move that we could have cut back to several different characters, not just one, for him to try to track Kill Raven. But maybe that will happen. That would be awesome. Yeah, that, the, maybe that'll happen. Maybe you'll have the ongoing pursuit. You know, maybe Kill Raven will stay one step ahead of him for a little while. Yes, very smoky in the bandit. <laughs> not really. Oh boy. So yeah, our heroes minus Mashula and Camilla are heading to the death berth. Yeah, uh, apparently Mashula has uh, has to heal a little bit, so uh, they had to go on without him. And since he's uh, he's not there, somebody's got to be making the jokes. And Ash makes a small one at Hawk's expense, <laughs> and that Hawk then re- remarks that without Mashula, Kill Raven has to play the straight man now to uh, Volcana. Right. So yeah. So as they're they're you know walking along this path, old skull, uh, of course, referring to himself as old skull, says he hears something. So everyone kind of ducks and covers. I appreciate that they gave that to old skull because so far the only useful thing or the only thing we've seen old skull do is not know how to drive their only means of conveyance and try to crash it into the ground. Well, that and he's got his super old skull strength this is true which we'll see here in a few pages or at the bottom of this page right so yeah so they they take cover and uh, apparently there's a couple of uh, death breeders that are out and about with uh an adam who's 
trying some last-minute heroics. Yeah, this is our Adam that we saw that they carried away. They carried him away on their hover discs. They're walking him to the liquidation center. Well, they uh, happen to have put themselves in a bad place at a bad time because Killraven's not having any truck with these freaking death breeders. And uh, he he says, you guys are death breeders, are you? And they're like, yeah, who the hell wants to fucking know? And Killraven says, I do, and basically starts kicking their asses. Why did Killraven ask if they're death breeders? Because he met some last issue, so he knows that these guys are death breeders. Well, maybe he was just, you know, trying to verify, you know? Oh. You know, some people could grab the costumes and put them on. Well, I guess Killraven has strict rules of engagement. He needed a positive verbal identification before it was clobbering time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, he had his rules of engagement that he has to follow. We get a little bit of humor here as, like you said, the guy wants to, like, who wants to know? Killraven, you might have heard the name before. You had to ask, Mendel, you had to ask. I know. And I love he's saying that as his face, or his head's being rammed into a metal beam. Right, and then he's getting kicked off of what looks like a freaking balcony or an edge or some shit later. What is Gold Skull doing in this, (laughs) in the background there? It, It looks like... It looks like he's got jazz hands, and he's really happy about it, and just so gleeful that he inadvertently tosses one of the Death Eaters over his head. Yeah, I get it that he's strong, and he's going to throw somebody to knock them out. Nobody, you've never seen the Hulk just absentmindedly like, whoops-a-doodle, like a guy over his head behind him. Yeah, exactly, it does look like absentmindedly, like, where'd he go? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it looks like he accidentally, he threw him overhead and he's just like, oh, where'd he go? Like, you ever watch a dog play with a toy and it accidentally throws it and they're like, where'd it go? Yes, that's exactly what that looks like. Very weird. But just like you said uh, a minute ago, Kill Raven, he kicks those two uh, Death Breeders off the side of the uh, the loop and they, uh, they fall from quite a, a height and yeah, they are dead. Yeah, they're done. Yeah. <sighs> So, yeah, so Adam's just like, oh, it's Killraven, he saved me. And then you get the freaking gratuitous, like, savior panel. Thankfully, it's really small. Yeah, Adam recognizes him from the telephonic mural. Because if you remember, they were going to beam that into the slave pens. So, this is realistic, because Adam was their target demographic for the Killraven broadcast. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, the Killraven broadcast did not go as expected. What I do enjoy here is Hawk is checking the corpses of the of, uh, the corpse of one of the Death Breeders just to make sure he's dead. That's some good common sense. Yeah, he's he's doing good policing up of the site there. Yes, you don't want that uh, one to come back and bite you in the ass later. Right. So there is like some weird um, trans place telekinetic. <laughs> telepathic shit going on clear sentience yeah kill raven and adam their noses are only like an inch from each other and they're either in a staring contest or they're about to kiss um, i think they're about to kiss <laughs> yeah that's what's going to jumpstart the uh clear sentient images right so yeah he's uh yeah he knows eve is about ready to go under the knife and she's standing there with atan in this vision that kill raven has Yes, he's gazing meaningfully and deeply into Adam's eyes, and he sees the image of Adam's Eve uh, yeah, about to in the in this chamber, uh, held by Adelon, about to be sacrificed. So, right. so here's my question. Go for it. 
and, and bear this in mind for later on because we're going to get a, a deeper understanding of this clairsentience. What or whose perspective do you think Killraven's seeing through here? That is a great question, and I cannot wait to uh, to get to that. Yes. I think I'm going to earn myself a no prize. Alrighty. We go to the next page, and this is this is by far my favorite part of the issue. <laughs> every, I love every part of this issue, but this is by far my favorite part. We see a solitary death uh, death breeder going into the banquet hall, and he's got his arm up in front of him, and he has like a napkin over it and this death breeder which again they're dressed as like skeletons he has a thin like mustache so he looks like your stereotypical like snooty french maitre d or waiter waiter but he's a death breeder and he's going into the banquet hall Wait, when you read his dialogue, did you read it in the snooty French waiter voice? Yes. Mon dieu, master, Atalon has brought another Eve to the chamber of sacrifice. It's going to be a magnifique. Yes, that is exactly how that was in my... And you, I, my theory, and I'm this is based off of nothing, is that the writer... He was super. He this was super serious. He was really into this, and the artist drew that without consulting with him at all, and had no idea. And he put this like cartoony French waiter in there. <laughs> this freaking French waiter is great. Yes. Oh, <sighs> good stuff. Yeah. So um, Frenchy, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he's like, yes, I trust this will be to your satisfaction. As a fucking silver star blows through his chest. It's great. The dinner sanctum is filled with the whistling of a silver star, whose tune ends in a blood hymn. Fuck yeah! And that silver star goes in through his back and out through his chest. And it is awesome. And yes. what is unfortunate is that we have this uh, French stereotype in there, because one of our big demographics for this podcast is actually France. <laughs> nope. We do very well in France, 100%. So it turns out Killraven and crew have made it to Deathbirth, and they are storming the tower. Yes. Uh, they're going all out, they're going all in, and they're raiding the banquet hall. And I, I will say this is one of my favorite uh, panels here. You know, Killraven with this freaking, like, demonic freaking grimace of, like, he, he's, like, living to be in this moment of combating the Martian menace. And there's nothing but tentacles that are fucking engulfing him as he's poised with his sword, ready to go in swinging. I, I also like Hawk, who's uh, going in weapons blazing, and he gets some good dialogue here. Hey, you red funguses, this is Hawk talking. You ever hear of a place called Hell up on Mars? I'm about to fry your insides on a one-way journey there. <laughs> nice. Yeah, this is a great scene, because yeah, they are just going, just just. Just, just ass kicking onto just, just brutal ass kicking onto these Martians. Right, but uh, Killraven figures out something. Unfortunately <laughs> for him, it was a rough lesson. It was a rough lesson because apparently, uh, as he's plunging his his uh, sword into a Martian, and we get some gore spurred yeah, out. Gore. Yeah, he is basically feeling said sword in himself. Yes. 
So he's it, it throws him off his game here. Yeah, we definitely see it's a cool like the the psychedelic effect there where you see like the kind of the Martian in the background behind Killraven in that uh, upper right hand corner panel. Like you see Martian eyes and you kind of see the mirror the pain mirrored in both of them. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, what Killraven did to the Martian, the Martian now is it's sharing with the uh, Killraven. He feels what the Martian's feeling. Right. Yeah, he feels basically he feels himself stabbing himself is basically what it feels like. And of course, rather than kind of uh, watch what's going on with this, uh, Volcana is just doing her Volcana thing and just fucking laying waste to shit. Yeah, she is just she's like melting the room with her flame and lava powers. Right, she's just going to town on it. Yeah, and while this is going on, I mean, Kill Raven is out of the fight. Like Old Skull is like almost cradling him because as the Martian is dying, he feels that he is dying. Right, and, and then freaking Volcana just single-handedly kills everything else in the room. I mean, she goes so nuts on the room. I mean, you see the like the free men; they have to flee the room because I mean, it looks like it is just coming like coming down. Mm-hmm. I think she melted everything in there. <laughs> We actually get a pretty cool uh, little uh, bit of dialogue here where Hawk teases Killraven for fainting back in the room when he was, like, psychically connected to the Martian. Mm-hmm. And this is what you were alluding to, the knowledge that Killraven figures out. Yeah, so he, he figures out that uh, th- this um, clairsentient ability of his is it's not something that connects him to other humans. It connects him to... Martians. Yeah, which I thought that was kind of a cool twist, and that explains why he didn't have a vision when he was on his crazy serial adventure in Battle Creek. He tunes into Martians, so he's seen from their perspective. Right. So, he's seeing all that through their perspective, so that kind of makes me wonder if that image he had of Eve was through the eyes of the uh, Sacrificer, I believe he's called. If you go back to that page, it looks like it's an elevated view and we see when they break into that room that that room is a operating theater oh yeah 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 so they're in the galleys overhead watching yeah they're wa- it's like when you go to like benihana and you see the the cook like the the, the chef there cooking your food that's what they're mm. watching but yeah uh so this we kind of get this all tied together that the martians with their stronger psychic emanations whatever keeper whitman did back to it back to kill to kill Raven back in issue twenty. It has somehow linked him into their psychic emanations. Right. So yeah. So they uh, they keep climbing up the tower. They storm the sacrificer's chamber. Yep. They're getting in there. A battle ensues. Yep. They burst through the amphitheater glass, which was the perspective, like you said, that we saw that Kill Raven was had had seen the amphitheater through earlier. Right. This whole issue, I was wondering what the sacrificer was. I assumed it was like what they called the location or a machine, but it's actually this surgeon who has these weird set of like almost like it almost looks like Borg knives like coming out of his arm. Yeah, it's all like grafted onto him. I like how he has like the little doctor's freaking like eyeglass thing on top of his head. Yeah, and surgical mask, but he's got the yeah, cool he's got... like collar and it's a cool cool costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's like Aquaman on steroids. Yeah. As much as I love this issue, these next two pages kind of fall apart for me. Right, so they duke it out. Freaking everyone's trying to shoot Kill Raven. Kill Raven's ducking and bobbing. Basically, they win the day. Adam and Eve are reunited. Okay. There's a cute little tender moment. Whoa, I mean, whoa, yeah. whoa. You 
We, you just you just said a mouthful there, Billy. So yeah, so Killraven is fighting with the uh, the sacrificer. The sacrificer's trying to stab him. Killraven's threatening to use his own weapon to kill him. The sacrificer is pissed. He's like, you know, you your intrusion here. This is going to disturb my work. I'm an artistic surgeon. Which Killraven has this rejoiner. You need some more, or you need some soul, sacrificer. And he kicks him right in the face. So it's ha, the soul of my shoe. So he doesn't kill the sacrificer. He just one hit knocks him out by kicking him in the face. These death raiders break into the room, and they're all shooting their their beams at Killraven. They break into the room. Adelon. He looks like a kid who's trying to scare somebody else. They do like the ghost, like, hands. That's what yeah. he's doing to kill Raven as he's yelling, disintegrate him. So you have three Death Breeders shooting at Kill Raven. It doesn't look like he moves at all, but somehow they miss. And then he grabs Adelan, Adelon and throws them into the Death Breeders. So that knocks all those Death Breeders out, and I guess Adelon too. So, mm-hmm. this, these issues have not been violent shy at all, but none of these people were like, Kill Raven doesn't kill any of these people. He just one hit kills them, and then they wrap up the issue. Right. Very yeah, weird. Like, okay. He knocks them all out. He knocks them all out. Freaking Adam and Eve get back together. It's cute. Well, it, it's super weird, too, because you could Kill Raven's super pissed at Adelon because he was psychically connected to. Adam and shared his humiliation last issue when uh, he was first, uh, when he had to lick Adelon's boots. So you really think there's going to be some comeuppance. And his comeuppance was he got thrown at a couple other guys and that was it. You know, now that you mention that, doesn't that fly in the face of his recent discovery that he's only psychically connected to Martians? Unless there was some sort of Martian those were the, like the, yeah that, they that watched yeah they want to see what that was going on with their food they were okay. overseeing fair enough you want to fair see enough. hey it, it, it's like the fresh food uh, uh, model you want to see your food and how it's raised before it gets to your plate <laughs> right so so yeah so Adam and Eve back together again unchained happy you know old skulls like isn't that nice Mr. Kill Raven. Kill him, and it's like, yeah, 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 you're a sucker for sentiment, old school. I did like that. Yeah, at, Skull right. says he hasn't seen anybody kiss in years. Right, and, and of course, uh, Volcan is like, hey, Red, you're feeling a little lost. Let me blaze a trail for you, baby. Yeah, and it looks like she's made a loop like around him with her prehensile hair. Yeah, that's kind of, uh, yeah. yeah. Like Medusa from the Inhumans. Right, and and, and then Kill Raven's kind of, and she's got her arm around him too. It looks like yes, she definitely does. And, and Kill Raven's like, uh, so tell me uh, when you're uh, amorous. <laughs> yes, I love he used the word amorous. Can you control that heat of yours? <laughs> so yeah, there, there's no, there's there's nothing but sexual yeah. tension going on between those. And two. I love her response. That would be telling. Mm-hmm. So next, the day the monument shattered. Which, we've already seen them shatter monuments. Yeah, well, you know. This backup story, did you read it? Yeah, I read it. (laughs) This is the worst one yet. It's so horrible. Like, what is this, like a fucking near-death experience story or what? The guy's a great escape artist, and it's like, oh, you've done all these great escapes, and he's scheduled to do a great escape the next day, but oh, he's a dumbass, and he will clearly, in this panel, you see him, he's about, like, walks in front of a truck, he gets hit by the truck. Bam, he's now performing his greatest escape ever. 
He's escaping death. I would say he's escaping life. He's escaping a mediocre career as a crappy magician. Correct. Did you see this next page? Uh, yes. Which page? Stranger Than uh, uh, Chariots of the Gods. That's Marvel's newest, most sense-shattering $1 comic of all. Marvel preview features man-gods from beyond the stars. I gotta do. Re- I want to know more about that. I've never heard of that. So I'm familiar with Chariots of the Gods, and so I like this. We see a a guy who looks almost like a combination of Deflator Mouse from The Tick and Voltron, uh, <laughs> getting off a flying saucer and about to confront several Neanderthals that look like they're just gonna kick his ass with some sticks. Exactly. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely uh, fits the uh, the podcast. I'd say yes. So yeah, I love this issue. I I thought this was a great one. I, I thought the ending could have been a little bit more satisfying. They needed some more comeuppance for eating babies. But I mean, just the fact that how committed they were to the, the baby eating and just... This is not something I would have expected from a 1970s comic. This was great. Right. So it leaves me wondering, okay, so this is Eve and Adam 3031, which implies that there are at least 3,030 other Adam and Eves. Yes. What are they going to do? I mean, are they going to they going to spend you know a couple issues liberating Deathbirth, or are they going to freaking move on because the heat's going to get too hot? I mean, what's the plan here, people? I I don't think he has a lot of follow through. I think they're going to move on. I think you're unfortunately right. Yeah, and I, I do wonder if maybe they're going to cover something with Mashula and Camilla, you know, doing their own thing. I don't think I don't see them dedicating a whole book to it, but that'd be interesting. Or even if just like like you said, they just half the issue with them, half the issue with Kill Raven. I would enjoy. Yeah, yeah, something like that would be pretty fun. Yeah, I thought this was a great one. I thought this was the best issue so far. I'd say this one was a pretty good issue. I'm not I'm I'm I'm, I'm not going to hang my hat on this and say it was the best. Um, uh, on on this third read through with it uh, with you I've definitely um, I've warmed up to it you would say ha 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 you <laughs> like what you did there yeah 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 see what I did yes uh, uh, uh. yeah so it's it's definitely growing on me as an issue uh, my my previous complaints about it really are are pretty trite which uh, given some of the caliber of what they've done with Kill Raven it, it's it's not bad to have only trite fucking complaints you know it's been a pretty good story so far yeah I mean for a comic in the mid 1970s I mean it's I think they do a really good job of combining like Conan with HG Wells it's really good yes yeah I, I definitely feel that way it's it's a great combination I would love if we could get a reason why Marvel like I said they did that shitty essentials issue like 10 years ago that was pulpy and black and white but I would this for me has at least given me a possible reason why they haven't done a Marvel masterpiece uh, edition of this or done a digital release because I'm, I would I definitely think Mar- Disney might be a little bit gun shy revisiting an ish or a series that has such graphic at least implications of babies being like ripped out of their mother's womb and then eaten by Martians. Yeah, that might be a little bit past what Disney's comfortable with. <laughs> Although, well, no, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Disney definitely has gotten on board with the violence that could be inherent in uh, comic book universes and showing it in a, a real-world application. If you've 
watched any of the fucking uh, Marvel Netflix shows. I mean, especially Daredevil. I cannot, I cannot emphasize how much watching Daredevil on Netflix makes you feel like these guys are putting themselves through the fucking ringer. I mean, if you haven't watched it, uh, Mark, I would definitely say, like, watch the first couple of episodes of it. There are some fights in there that are just like, they're bloody, they're brutal, they're violent as all fuck. I think that's where Disney kind of draws the line. Violence is okay. Violence towards an infant is definitely something a little bit different. I think that's where most freaking people draw the line. I'm just surprised some of this hasn't gotten reprinted by uh, anti-abortion uh, rights groups. Because oh, this is definitely what the right thinks like Planned Parenthood is. Uh, yeah. All your Planned Parenthood is is they're removing those babies. Where do you think they go? They go to the Martians. Mm, yeah, it's it's. <laughs> Every Planned Parenthood has that like French uh, French waiter. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they make hors d'oeuvres for the Martian parties. <laughs> that's probably a good note uh, to end it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good note to end it on. And again, this is a reminder. C2E2, I believe that is April 5th, or starting April 5th. I will be at C2E2 in Chicago. If our legion of fans want to join us there, you can contact us at comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. We, will lo- we love feedback. We love comments. And we love reviews, iTunes preferably. Yes, preferably iTunes. Five stars, okay? You can you can write whatever you want in the body, but give us five stars. It'll help more people find us, please. <laughs> and if any of you have any dick pics out there, I can give you a phone number. It's definitely not Cruz's cell. He would love to get those. <laughs> uh, don't forget, I know your wife's cell phone number. <laughs> it's not punishing me, though. Uh, speaking of which, how'd those Disney pictures come out? Did you, did you like that lost one I found in you? Yeah, yeah, we laughed at that, and I cried. <laughs> uh, it was threatened that this that, that was going to get discussed on the podcast, and uh, I, I felt I had a follow-through on that. She'll appreciate that. I'm sure she will. Hi, Mrs. Mark. Oh, she doesn't listen to this. Hi, Mark's mom. <laughs> she does, yes. <laughs> Uh, at least your at least one of your parents listens to this, and only one will ever listen. To this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez! Eh, there you go. At least you got some support. But again, if you guys want to support us, you comic book dungeon podcast at gmail dot com. Twitter, I'm at broken lmd broken life model decoy. So broken lmd, and uh, we are on uh, Instagram. At something. Yeah, Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. Yes, we're doing great things. Support our endeavors. Yes. Please do. Yeah, right in. We still want to hear some of your great guy, your guys' great comic book stories, your great Star Trek stories, your great listening to our podcast stories. Exactly. Just tell us. Tell us about yourselves. Yeah. Let us in. We want to be your friends. When this thing takes off in a uh, year or so from now, you can tell people that you were into this before it was cool. <laughs> exactly. Before we made it big time. Yes. You could know us. Yes. So, I think that's it. Keep turning those pages. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, keep turning those pages. 
And uh, this is Mark reminding everyone out there that before you get amorous, you need to find out if she can control that heat of hers. <laughs> night. Good night, everybody. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, that's a wrap. I'm not lady in the nest. Now no one can get to see.